Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. It's true, you know, and we've said it here before, Easter represents not the end of a story, but in fact it's actually the beginning of an even larger story. It's interesting to note, for instance, that every time the risen Christ appears to the disciples in the Gospel story, it's followed by those same disciples being sent out to proclaim the good news. But not before some conversation, some teaching, and, as in the case of Luke's version of the story, something to eat. That's the focus of our message for today, which is entitled, Witnesses of These Things. It's based on Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. And it starts with some thoughts on the great importance in our lives of having something to eat. It's fascinating to me, and more than a little bit telling, I think, that as Luke continues his version of the Easter story, the 11 disciples only really begin to connect the dots where the resurrection is concerned is when Jesus asks them, have you anything here to eat? It actually kind of makes sense when you think about it. To sit down and have something to eat is probably the most basic and human thing that you and I ever do in our lives. But more than merely being necessary for our physical survival, food has this way of bringing us comfort at a time when we need it the most. I'm looking at you, turkey and stuffing. And moreover, that food with having that kind of food with others creates an opportunity for hospitality and and it has a way of nurturing relationships. To wit, there's a reason that when someone is sick or have had a loved one pass away, our first response, at least here in New England, is to deal with that grief and loss by baking a casserole. Just as I can also tell you that apart from the whole fundraising aspect of it, the main reason that churches like ours have Saturday night bean suppers is because food and fellowship go together like, well, beans and ham. All that said, though, having something to eat is more than this. It can also open our eyes and hearts to something we hadn't known or experienced before. How many first dates going out to eat grew into something more? Because sitting across the table from someone while eating chicken parmesan not only lessened the awkwardness of the situation, but became the starting place of a whole new relationship. And how often does food serve as an affirmation of who and whose you are? Growing up, friends, there was hardly a gathering of the Lowry side of the family that didn't include oyster stew as part of the meal. I'm not ever even sure that everybody even liked oyster stew. It's just what we did. And likewise, we've discovered as our own children have grown older that each one of them have favorite dishes that bring back good memories of childhood and which they still ask for when they come home. Food, you see, for lack of a better word here, it's real. It's, it has a way of helping us also to discern what else is real for us as well. 
And that is no small thing. Now, over these past couple of Sundays in Eastertide, we've been looking at the resurrection story from differing perspectives of the Gospels. First, on Easter Sunday, we had Mark's account of the women running from the empty tomb in terror and amazement. And then last week, we turned to John's Gospel, which is all of what was all about Jesus' Easter evening appearance amongst the disciples in the upper room, this place where they'd all been hiding out of their own fear. Well, today, we hear from Luke, who has his own tale to tell regarding the disciples' initial skepticism as to the validity of the women's claim that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. We're even given that wonderful coda involving two previously mostly unknown disciples on the road to Emmaus, who are actually walking with a risen Christ, but who fail to recognize who he is until, and take note of this, until Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they finally recognized him for who he was. But here's the thing. Even given what these two disciples who came from Emmaus had to say, it's still not enough to convince the eleven and their companions back in Jerusalem that what happened had actually happened. Even in that moment, as we pick up the reading this morning, when, as Jean read to us, <clears throat> Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. It's not enough to lead those disciples from fear to belief. Nor was the offer from Jesus that they could touch his hands and feet if they needed to. Nor even his assurance that a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Which, it should be noted, brought joy to the eleven but not yet belief, as according to Luke, they were still wondering. In other words, this is great and all, but how are we really supposed to believe this? It was too much. It was all too good to be true, as the message translates it. No. Come to find out it is only when Jesus asks if there was something there to eat, and then when he proceeds to eat a piece of broiled fish in their presence, that the disciples finally start to get it. Wait a minute, Jesus, he's alive. He had risen from the dead. And now here he was, right before them, just like before. Suddenly, right there in the middle of a fish dinner, all the doubt, all the hopelessness, all the barriers, that had previously stood before them barriers of things like grief and sin and death. That was all gone forever. And now Jesus could finally, truly open their minds to understand the scriptures. And finally, the apostles could discover once and for all that everything that Jesus had told them over the past three years about the Messiah having to suffer and then to rise from the dead on the third day, all that he had to say about repentance and forgiveness of sins and all about the need to proclaim all of it to Jerusalem and to the world, to know that it was all real and all true 
would change everything about their lives and living from that moment forward. Which is what makes what Jesus says next all the more powerful. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. Now, I've always kind of imagined that at this point, the disciples' reaction to that was yet another of disbelief, or not disbelief exactly, then certainly utter surprise. Maybe they didn't say it out loud, but I have a feeling they looked at each other and maybe even mouthed the words, excuse me, excuse me, Lord. We are just now beginning to wrap our minds around the fact that you're back from the dead and now you want us to be your witnesses? Please, Jesus, would you just give us a moment to absorb this? Maybe later we can be witnesses, whatever that means, but not now, not yet. I mean, that would be an understandable reaction, wouldn't it? But you'll notice from our text this morning that Jesus is very, very clear regarding the tense of this assertion. It's not you were witnesses. It's not you will be witnesses, but it's that you are witnesses of these things. Right here, right now. Witnesses of the resurrection and everything that represents. And no doubt in that moment, such a prospect for the disciples was to say the very least daunting. And as I think about that, friends, I realize that if that was the case for the 11 in the immediate aftermath of the events surrounding Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, events that they had indeed seen and heard and, in fact, participated in, how much more daunting is it for you and for me? People who, some 2,000 years later, are still named and claimed as witnesses of the risen Savior. If even there were those who were there still wondering and doubting as to the truth of it all, what kind of witnesses were and are we ever to be? I mean, it is one thing for us to sing out those wonderful old words of, of how he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me that I am his own. It's quite another for us, any of us really, to think of Jesus as a real person and through the Spirit as a very real personal presence in our lives. Truly, from the time that most of us went to Sunday school, we have been taught about Jesus living in our hearts and sharing that good news with others, all others. But what about the real, live, physical, fish-eating presence of our risen Savior. How are we ever supposed to witness to that? Because we weren't there. We didn't see it. It's an important question, beloved. One, as Caroline Lewis, who is a professor of biblical preaching at Luther Seminary, as she suggests that Jesus takes very seriously. What Jesus said to the disciples, you see, he says to each one of us, 
you are witnesses. Here and now, in this moment, in this life, you're witnesses. In your daily life, for the sake of life. Jesus, Lewis goes on to say, is quick to remind us, you see, of who we really are. We are resurrection people. We are resurrection witnesses. But just when we think that this is something that is utterly impossible for us, Jesus tells us what makes it possible is to be witnesses by the promise of the Spirit. That's why Jesus instructed his disciples to stay there in the city until they had been clothed on, with power from on high. And that's why you and I, as Jesus followers, are gifted with the same. So, what does this all mean? It means that though we didn't have the same kind of firsthand experience of the disciples to share, we do have their witness to pass on. And as it turns out, the kind of witness that comes in living out of what we've heard, what we believe, and what we have lived out of throughout our lives. We are witnesses of these things when we worship together, when we raise up our voices in prayer and praising, and whether that happens as we are sitting together as a community of believers or whether we are gathered together online as a community of kindred spirits. We are witnesses of these things when we are moved to love others after the same manner that we have felt the experience of divine love and acceptance. We are witnesses of these things when we recognize that life as we live it and the world as we know it does not have to be muddled and complicated and divisive and hate-filled as so often it appears to be and which evidence declares to be true. Rather, we can be deciding for ourselves that we will be the example in making peace, doing justice, showing kindness, bringing forth compassion and true grace and love and making it the reality of our life and living. We are witnesses of these things when we feed others in just the same way we have been fed. Because friends, it's that wonderfully hearty spiritual food that we're feeding. Food that not only makes us who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ, it is what proclaims him alive forevermore. You see, this is the good news, and this is our challenge. You and I, each and every one of us, beloved, we are witnesses of these things. And Jesus, right here, right now, is sending us forth to proclaim our good news to the world. One summer day, many, many years ago now, I went on a road trip with my father to visit a series of flea markets that were happening all throughout northern Maine. My father was a man of many interests, and as was typical of him, he would always have some specific thing he was looking for at these sales. I think at the time it was antique oil lamps, and at our camp and at home, we have still have some of those oil lamps. Well, 
this particular day, we had made our way way up north to Madawaska, Maine, on the Canadian border. Where, as it happened, he had once spent a summer as a young man working playing trumpet in a big band. And where he had boarded with a French-Canadian family there in town. Well, understand, at this point, that had been almost 30 years before. But you see, my father got it into his head that he wanted to stop at this house where he had boarded and see if the family he'd stayed with all those years ago was still living there. They were very nice people, he explained to me. And he just wanted to stop and say hello. He did that a lot. Well, I'm 22, 23 at the time, and I'm skeptical to say the least. I'm thinking that this encounter would be awkward at best, and at worst they wouldn't remember my father, and that would be, well, downright embarrassing. But my dad was determined, and while I waited in the truck and waited and watched, he went right up to the house and knocked on the door. There was this older woman who answered the door, and, and from the street I could see them talking quietly for a moment. And then this woman quite literally shrieks with joy, her arms open wide to hug my father, and next thing I know we're all sitting in this woman's kitchen with her husband laughing, reminiscing, telling stories, drinking coffee, and lest I forget, eating the most incredibly wonderful, freshly made donuts and deflecting their insistence that we stay long enough to have a lunch. Yep, it's always about the food, isn't it? Well, obviously they did remember my dad, and fondly. But as great as that was, I went away from that experience realizing that though they'd never met me before, it was as though they'd always known me, and in the process, they made me feel incredibly welcome, too. There amidst the coffee and donuts, you see, was a witness. A witness to good memories, friendship, and the many ways that our lives and our hearts are joined together, even in the most unexpected of ways. You know, it seems to me, friends, that as believers in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are similarly joined in heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that each and every time you and I make an effort to reach out to others with the same kind of love and care that Jesus has shown us, we become witnesses of a living Savior who continues even now to change the world and every heart within it for the better and forever. Don't forget that, friends. Don't forget this as you set out into the business of life and living this week. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have the capacity within yourself to make it real and true and have it come alive in the hearts of all those you encounter. We are witnesses of these things, and for this and so much more, thanks be to God. Amen and amen.
And that's the message entitled, Witnesses of These Things. It was recorded as part of our April the 18th online service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, you are always invited to join us live, each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. We'd love it if you could be a part of our worship. And with that, we come to the close of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and not only do I want to thank you once again for listening, but also for your continued support of this podcast, over which has almost been two years now. In that regard, I'd love to hear from you about this podcast or anything else on your mind. You can do that by pressing the message button on the podcast page online or by contacting me directly through the Love to Tell the Story Facebook page. Either way, I hope you'll keep in touch. So until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.